You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back for Tuesday, Locked On Syracuse podcast. Lots to get to today on the football front. Tim Leonard and Tyler Aki here with you. You can follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. Been tweeting out some different stuff, some breaking news stuff as it's come across the Syracuse Twittersphere over on our Twitter page, so stay updated with the show over there. Also, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. We're going to get to the Bayheim's Army news that came out on Monday. The bracket is out, who the team is playing, and our thoughts on basically how the bracket shakes out for Bayheim's Army in the later half of this show. But first, we will start by kind of picking it up where we left off yesterday, a football discussion as it pertains to the article from The Athletic last week on the state of the Syracuse football program. And some interesting stuff in there from our pal Matthew Gutierrez. He wrote the article, and he brings up, kind of goes position by position. He talks about the quarterback position and has an interesting way of sort of phrasing what the quarterback competition looks like. He basically comes out and says that Garrett Schrader seems to be the likely candidate to start at quarterback. And who knows whether he's basing that off of sourcing or whether he's just saying that as looking at the team from an outside perspective and thinking, okay, Tommy DeVito's been a little shaky. Garrett Trader, you bring him in. And like we talked about when Garrett Trader first committed, he usually doesn't come and make that decision unless he's promised at least a competition for the starting role. But it's kind of contrary to what Stephen Bailey and most of the sourcing has been around the team so far is that Tommy DeVito seems to be having a leg up. So what did you make of how Goody phrased that, Ty? Well, I'm not here to to get into a source off between Goody and, and Stephen Bailey and who's got the better sources of the two, but it's interesting, right? Whenever you see a dissenting opinion or statement put out there like this is, especially when it's a quarterback battle, that's what makes this summer so intriguing because we know how important the quarterback position is going to be for Syracuse in getting this team to potential bowl status for 2021. And... One of the the best parts about a quarterback competition is that the best man is going to play, especially in this situation where Dino Babers might be coaching for his job. He's not just going to leave Tommy DeVito out there if he's not the better quarterback, just because he's his guy, the guy that he recruited, his prized recruit of his entire tenure. No, because if this team doesn't win, guess what? There's a good chance Dino Babers may not be back for 2022. And that's what Garrett Schrader is here to provide. Insurance, uh, just the competition aspect of this whole thing is what I find so intriguing. And you're going to see much better quarterback play. I can't tell you right now who it's going to be, but I do know the quarterback position is going to be worlds better than it was last season. Yeah, and I'm still of the camp that I think Tommy DeVito could be a solid quarterback if he's given a little bit more freedom, if he's given a little bit more protection, and he just builds up his confidence a little bit more. He's dealt with injuries. He's just dealt with a nightmarish two seasons, point blank, and he hasn't been good. I mean, I'm not looking past that fact, no doubt, but when you look into the numbers, and I went back and looked at some of the pro football focus stats from last season, and This is something we talked about towards the end of last season. He only played four games, so these stats aren't a huge sample size. But under pressure, he ranked 104th in the country amongst quarterbacks. So that's not good. His pro football focus grade under pressure is a 36. That's the problem with him. 
The good news is when he gets a clean pocket, he was 21st in the country amongst quarterbacks in terms of his pro football focus grade when he had a clean pocket to throw in. It was a 91.4, so that's excellent. So it's just how much can we give him a clean pocket this year and how much will that translate into better confidence and better throws overall and and hopefully just more experience. He can be a little bit better under pressure because there's no denying that He's going to face some pressure against ACC competition again, regardless of how good the offensive line is or how much they improve. And also, he's got to be better under pressure, period. You can't just ignore that. It's still going to be a thing that he has to improve. And that's one of the interesting things about this quarterback competition is the fact that, yes, the quarterback play is obviously going to determine it, but the offensive line play might be a huge determinant over who starts. If the offensive line is really rock solid and you've got all these returning guys and Matthew Bergeron takes a step and all the transfers that are coming in are are playing up to their standard, then it feels like it's Tommy DeVito's job. But if the offensive line play is a little shaky, a little suspect, or just downright bad, it might be Garrett Schrader's job because he is more of that mobile dual threat guy, the more Eric Dungy-like guy who can maybe make something out of nothing and use his legs a little more frequently. That's, to me, one of the interesting little caveats to this entire process is that, okay, yes, the quarterback play is obviously going to determine who is going to be the starter, but that's really only for week one, I would say. Once you go up against guys in different uniforms, if the offensive line is shaky, you might see Garrett Schrader have a little more success with this offense because of his legs. Yeah, and look, I think a lot of people that are listening to this podcast and are pro-Garrett Schrader, they have a good argument, and the argument that I'm guessing most will make is Syracuse has been better with dual-threat quarterbacks. It's actually been better for the program. Eric Dungy was better for the system, it turns out, maybe than Tommy DeVito ever can be, and, and I think that's a pretty fair statement, a fair argument to make at this point. I'm just optimistic that there's some untapped potential there with DeVito. I know it's kind of foolish maybe to, like, even when I say it, I'm hesitant to say it because we have seen so many bad throws, so many bad decisions, and honestly, just him not taking chances to the degree that I'd like to see from my starting quarterback. When you go through his numbers under pressure, it's not like it leads to a ton of interceptions, and he's actually usually pretty good in terms of turnover-worthy passes. I think he only had 4% of his passes last year that were deemed turnover-worthy passes. So that includes if it's a dropped interception or whatever. It's it's a turnover-worthy play. just goes down as one, and pro football but focus on the contrary to that. that is he doesn't make those throws because he That's what oftentimes will choose yeah. the sack, which isn't a bad yeah. thing. But there are, there are also times where you want to see your quarterback roll out and throw the ball away. And that, Absol- that's what I, yeah. the maturation that's what I that we see. saw out of Dungy. With Eric Dungy, we saw him, th- those first couple of years, those passes, he'd get a little risky with it and maybe throw some interceptions or take some sacks or, the worst of all, run out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage. That's sort of what we've seen with DeVito. But the difference is, once we got to Eric Dungy's senior season... That's when you saw Dungy make the smart play. The interceptions were toned down. You saw him throw the ball away more. And he did take chances, but they were calculated risks. And a lot of the times, they paid off. And if he did not have a throw there, he wasn't afraid to use his legs. Now, I'm not saying DeVito's an awful runner. He's not. He's actually a solid runner. I just don't think he's as good as a guy like Garrett Schrader is with the mobility and making design plays with your legs as well. 
Yeah, I think what I'm getting at here is what Tommy DeVito was billed to be was a gunslinger, super high arm talent, can make all the throws, comes in, has the moxie that you're looking for, and will put his body out there, will make the tough plays, will go for the home run passes, right? We know he has this great big arm, and he's really trans. In the last couple of years, he's just lost all his confidence and started becoming very hesitant and very, like, shy and not trigger-happy whatsoever. And if I'm coaching Syracuse, or if I had the ability to talk to Tommy DeVito, I'd go up to him and say, get back to you. Like, feel free to throw three interceptions in a game. I'm fine. I'd rather you throw well, interceptions. I don't know if I want that. <laughs> well, I, obviously, like... I get what you're saying. You don't no, root I get what for you're that. Saying. But Play I, I'm looser. saying he's gotten away from what makes him good, and he's gotten almost ultra-conservative in so many games. You see, and you watch back the film, and he has opportunities to make a tight pass that we know he can make, and I'm fine with him at least going for it when we're down in these games and we have nothing going for us. So I'd like to see him be just a little more free in terms of when he's under pressure or if he's not under pressure. Like, just be willing to make those big home run passes that he did in his first year when he replaced Dungey because of injury and stuff. No, I I totally get what you're saying, though. And I think you're right. Now, I don't want it to be three interceptions, but if it's one, I, I think I take that because you don't know what your level of mistake prone or your mistake vulnerability is. And that's sort of what lets you develop into being these elite level quarterbacks is knowing what you can and can't get away with. And I don't think Tommy DeVito understands what he can get away with right now. And that's when you see talent shine. When you are a top 300 guy, you're going to the elite 11s. It's because you have this supreme talent in you, this supreme arm strength, pinpoint accuracy. You've got stuff that allows you to get away with certain throws that other quarterbacks can't make. And when when DeVito doesn't even test it out because he's afraid of making the mistake here or there, and that's why I'm a little shocked that last year we didn't see more of that gunslinging Tommy because, or even the past two years really, because the competition behind him was not there. Simply wasn't. And it would have been a, a, having a guy like Garrett Schrader come in where I would have thought I would have seen a more conservative Tommy DeVito, a, a little more And when he was in competition, mistake. he was slinging it. Like with Dungey, right. he was making right. the passes. So, yeah. so I don't know if he needs the iron sharpens iron sort of setup for him to thrive. And maybe this is what's going to allow him to do that. Obviously, offensive line is going to dictate a lot of this as well. But I, I, I'm with you. I've always been in the camp that I still think there's something in DeVito. But... I need to see it at some point. And the clock's running out at this point. All right, guys, are you serious about cooking? Well, if you are, you should invest in your kitchen tools. That is extremely important. And Maiden's cookware and kitchenware products are used by thousands of the world's best chefs. That is your best option right now for investing in those kitchen tools. I have tried some of their products. They sent us a couple knives this week. They're really good. Really quality knives. They source the finest material and partner with renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup, which is nice. They're very, very friendly price-wise. Made-in products are made to last, and they offer a lifetime guarantee. They have 28,000-plus five-star reviews, and their products are used by some of the world's best chefs at Michelin star restaurants around the world. Made-in is better cookware for better meals. And right now, Made-in is offering our listeners 15% off your next order. It's a promo code for you. Locked on is the promo code. L-O-C-K-E-D, capital O-N at the end. 
for 15% off, go to madeincookware.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on for 15% off your next order. That's madeincookware.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, so transitioning now to an interesting stat. This surfaced a couple weeks ago, but Goody writes about it in this article over at The Athletic. And it's a great stat for the defensive line. Basically, most quarterbacks... Most quarterback hits generated over the last three seasons in college football in the country... Syracuse ranked second, sandwiched around them. Number one, Clemson, 178 hits. Syracuse in second, 171. And then number three, Alabama, 165. And quarterback hits over the last three seasons in college football. Great neighborhood, great company to be in. The FBS average, by the way, is 98 over the that three-year span. So Syracuse at 171, second in the country. And it got me thinking, it got both of us thinking, I think, have we just been sort of undervaluing the defensive line? Like, there was not a lot of talk about them having a decent season last year, but when you dig into the stats, they really were one of the better groups or one of the more solid units on the team. The The interesting part is people measure their defensive line success based on sacks. And I think we've even been critical of the group, too, and we have to kind of go hands up here when we're taking this evaluation as well because, again, back in 2018... All right, the the ten and three season, the team was sixth in sacks in the entire country, not in the ACC. In the entire country, they were sixth. Then the year after that, fortieth. Year after that, this past season, fifty third. So you've seen the sacks go down and down. Now part of that is you've got talent leaving or guys emerging, so so they're drawing double teams like Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman. You saw their sack numbers go way down in twenty nineteen, but. You have to remember what the defensive line does. It's all about generating pressure, making quarterbacks uncomfortable. And I don't think we give the defensive line enough credit for the turnover numbers that this defense puts up. Look at the interceptions, 13, 13, 18. Those are numbers that should not be sustainable over a three-year period. You should not see a team get at least 13 interceptions a season for three straight seasons. That doesn't happen very often unless you are an elite defensive program. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the defensive line. And sure, the sack numbers maybe haven't been there the past two seasons that you would expect from a group that is top three in the entire country over that span in getting to the quarterback, not necessarily taking him down, but getting to him. But this is sort of the the cause and effect here. You're seeing a lot of these turnovers numbers spike because of the fact that the defensive line has gotten to the quarterback in a round and made them uncomfortable. And that's going to be one of the interesting things to watch this year. The defensive line is going to be all fifth and sixth year guys. They're going to be bullying a lot of these guys. I mean, you think about it. These are grown men going up against, you might see them go up against some redshirt freshmen or sophomores or stuff like that. 
And they are going to be overwhelming a lot of these groups. And I think that's going to be a really, really fun unit to watch. They may not get to the quarterback every single time. But if they're creating turnovers, they're doing their job. Yeah, I think I'm coming to the conclusion that they are not going to have a sack season like 2018 for a while, given the way the defense is shifting, 3-3-5 and all that. But and the, the other numbers... You done a ton of recruiting on the defensive line to get that stud that's going to get to the quarterback. Yeah, right. Or you haven't found the hidden gem like a Robinson or someone like that, that you right. know, you, it just worked out. Right. So I totally agree. I think the sack numbers, you look at those, they're underwhelming, but then you look at the other numbers and they're really pretty good. And last year, again, pro football focus, shout out to them. They grade every single phase of the roster of the team and pass rush was one of the best grades of all the phases of football for Syracuse last year. They had a 73.7 pass rush grade. Now, that's 52nd in the nation, which isn't great, but relative to a 1 in 10 team and all the other categories, like you look at pass blocking, they were 52.9, 106th in the nation. Run blocking, 50.3 grade, 119th out of whatever, 128, 127 teams, something like that. So, they were really, really bad in some of these stats. Pass rush was one of the better stats, and I think that takes into account that they are getting some pressure on the quarterback. They're getting some hits, and that is forcing some of the turnovers, like you said. And that's the the thing is you're creating discomfort in the pocket, and fans look at it from a sacks or bust statistical mindset, right? But in reality, there's so much more that goes into – creating incomplete passes, and creating these uh, these interceptions as well. Now, that doesn't mean that, okay, if a quarterback does get a clean pocket, they can let one loose like we saw a number of times, whether it was Clemson or Pitt or, or some of these other ACC schools. Yeah. I'm not saying this defense is indestructible. There's obviously flaws, but I think some of these flaws, you're you're going to learn a lot about the defense this year because whether it's – the legacy of the three guys that are going to be on the front for this Syracuse team with Josh Black and Kingsley Jonathan and McKinley Williams, those guys are all entering their final seasons. And then on top of that, you've got these young guys in the secondary. How quickly can they adjust and right. be ready? We, we know Garrett Williams is a stud, right? We don't have to ask any questions there. But can he be a stud when he's matched up on the number one guy and is taking on that assignment every single week. I think he can. Now, we just have to kind of watch it play out. You've got young safeties. And then you also look at the linebacking group, too, which maybe has the biggest question mark, but kind of like we said last season, the linebackers were probably our biggest concern heading into the year, but don't be surprised if they are the second or maybe even the best of the groups on defense between defensive backs, defensive line, and the linebackers because of the fact that there is a lot of potential there. And we right. saw Michael Jones really come onto the scene and Jeff Canton Arku. There were some really bright spots in that linebacking group. Steve Linton, another guy that you saw emerge because they were given opportunity. Yeah. And let's talk about the linebackers real quick before we transition to the Bayheim's army discussion. We have to talk about linebackers because Lee Koba has been, well, I guess not really in the news because it hasn't been talked about a ton, but I'm sure a lot of fans have seen Shout the out post. Nate Mink. I think yeah, he's Nate the Mink only guy who's right. written about this. Right. So there was a post on Lee Koba's Instagram page, and I think most know, but he's suspended from the team. We don't know exactly what happened. We don't know 
really a whole lot about his status for next year, but we see a post from his public Instagram of him rocking an Ole Miss jersey, and he's clearly, you would assume, visiting the campus and checking it out. And It, it just, looks like I a mean, recruiting what, shoot. That's yeah, what it looks right. like. And I think we all have, have seen those photos before. You can go check out his Instagram if, if you want to pull up the photo in front of you. But it's uh, when I saw it, I just thought, okay, he's gone. Like, this isn't a good sign, of course. And it's a bummer if he is gone. But there is some depth on the linebacking core. You talked about some guys already. I don't know what the latest is with Steve Linton. I know there were some talks of him maybe switching to defensive line. But I feel great about linebacker. I feel less great after the Lee Coban news if this does become official, which we'll see what happens here. His, his name is not in the transfer portal, so it's still a little unknown right now. But how I mean, is what this did not you tampering? Make? How yeah. is this not tampering? That's what I wanted to know. I mean, this is Lane Kiffin. So first of all, the the caption on the photo is the money's calling or something along those lines. Which <laughs> yeah. that, that's when you know Lane Kiffin's involved. So, but maybe the second strangest thing. Actually, no, I'm going to say it's the first strangest thing of this entire post is the comment section because it's a bunch of guys from the Syracuse defense past and present that are all commenting with like fire emojis and like yeah, they're pumped up. Yeah. And you got like Garrett Williams and, and Chris Elmore and, and Anthony Queeley, Caleb Okachukwu, um, Michael Jones is commenting on it and it's like, obviously you're going to support your friends and all that stuff, but this is a guy who might not be on your team next year and no one really knows why right now. And I found that extremely odd to see. Yeah, there's clearly no bad blood. So that makes me think he's gone and they've already been alerted. Like the players know he's gone, or at least he's disgusted with them. And this is just a formality that's going to come out soon, right? Because right. how could you be posting but those fire emojis? Where's the, the tampering? Why aren't people talking yeah. about that? If his name's not in the transfer portal... I don't know if he's allowed to go in and visit schools like that unless Syracuse has given him permission. Then then that's a whole different conversation. And I'm assuming he's not posting pictures on his Instagram, his public Instagram, unless he has been given some sort of permission by the coaching staff to seek out other options. But the fact that his name's not in the portal as of Nate Mink's article releasing, I found that odd. To, because I would have guessed that he would have been in the portal, or Syracuse would have just said uh, they would have parted ways by now. Because why yeah. would you suspend a guy, but also let him go on visit? That that's the part I don't understand. Yeah, there's some stuff that needs to be cleared up there, and hopefully that'll happen in the coming weeks. We'll keep you guys updated on that. But I would say he's he's probably gone, and at this point, I'm expecting him not to be on the Syracuse roster next year unfortunately coach kiffin stay in your lane stay in your lane that's all i'll <laughs> <Right>. say <laughs> that that will never happen hey did you know that built bar has nine delicious flavors including their limited time offers as well when you talk to a built bar fan they're definitely passionate about what their favorites are just ask tim and i my favorite is the peanut butter brownie but they've got a variety of other flavors as well, whether it's coconut, some fruit flavors, some other chocolate flavors, the salted caramel, there's a Bilt Bar for 
everybody. And if you haven't tried all the flavors yet, you can get a mix box as well where you will get two of each of the nine flavors. And not only do Built Bars taste great, but they're also healthy for you too. Most of the flavors have 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, and only four net carbs. So order today and get that raspberry, the mint brownie, or do what I do, get the peanut butter brownie, or get whatever you like. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you will get 15% off your first order. Again. BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 and you will get 15% off your first order. Transitioning now to basketball and wrapping up the show, the TBT bracket is out. It's July 24th, first game for Bayheim's Army. They will be playing in Peoria, Illinois, which is kind of a lousy location if i'm being honest for syracuse community and everything right like i'm 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 gonna gonna stop you right there i'm gonna stop you right there because peoria illinois is the home to the illinois high school state basketball championships the place is amazing like the facilities all that stuff okay for this event it is perfect Sure, it is perfect. but for a Syracuse fan, is, not For a Syracuse fan, it's A, probably the worst possible location you could imagine. It, it, it's near impossible, unless you're getting on like Adam Weitzman's jet. It's impossible to get there. <laughs> um, if you fly into O'Hare, then you've got like a three-hour drive in front of you. I know people have asked me, are you going? And then to that answer, I say no. I'm not going because <laughs> I, I can't get to Peoria, Illinois easily. It's not a, an easy place to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're in Chicago. What's that? Three hours? It's like three hours. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, thanks. Um, maybe if they continue or, or it's really looking good. But anyway, so their first round game, they're a three seed, which seems like they've been right around there recently. They're 64 teams. So it's just like an NCAA tournament. Or at least I think it is. Right. Yeah. I think they've expanded 64. So anyway, they are one of the three seeds playing a 14 seed and the 14 seed team uh, i don't have the name of the team in front of me but it's basically american of guys seoul. okay thanks so and the seoul is spelled out like seoul south korea yep. um so the it's a group of american guys some former college guys a former georgetown player former florida player i think is in there and first time in the tournament but they have grouped together it's all guys that played over in south korea professionally at one point or another so they're a 14 seed they should beat him beat them then it will get probably tougher from there. But overall, the bracket that Syracuse, or Syracuse, Beheim's Army got is interesting because one, Marquette is the one seed in the bracket, which I believe that they're the defending champions. If I'm not getting the years mixed up, I know they won it recently. And I think it was last year, the Golden Eagles team that won it. So that's interesting. And I, I just think Peoria is kind of a, a bizarre place. We knew they were going there, but bottom line is this, I, I really want to see them win in this tournament and make it out of the region or make it at least to the Elite Eight for, for once in a while. Like, it's just been overdue for them to succeed in this tournament now. I will say it is going to be tough because not only do you have a lot of local people, like you've got the Peoria All-Stars, which Peoria, Illinois is kind of a hotbed for basketball. Um, if you look at a lot of guys who have played at Illinois or some of these other schools, in the the state of Illinois, a lot of them, yeah, home of Bradley, of do right? Come. Yeah, home of Bradley, yeah. Bradley University. So Bradley's got a team. Illinois's got a team. They're both in Syracuse's little region yeah. too. Um, but guys like, I mean, people don't even think about it. But Adam Miller, who played for Illinois, and like he went to high school for a year in Chicago, but he's from Peoria. 
There's a lot okay. of guys who are from Peoria and then move to the city for a year or two to play high school basketball because the exposure is going to be that much bigger and better for them. Um, and then, like you mentioned, you got you got the Golden Eagles, the defending champs in this too. However, I don't think anyone is that thrilled seeing Bayheim's Army as the three seed because they might be the best of the three seeds. I saw an ESPN article that was written about TBT and how Bayheim's Army might be the best of the three seeds. But the thing that worries me about these 14 seeds, the teams that just kind of get thrown in here like this, especially when you've got a team, Forces of Seoul, who they're all guys that have played in South Korea and maybe currently are playing in South Korea too. Yeah. That's a decent level of international basketball there. And it's, I mean, yeah, Vernon, it's, Vernon Macklin is a name that guys know from, right. uh, from Florida. Like that is a big deal. And we, we know that size is something that Syracuse is going to have. So going up against Macklin, they might match up well, but if I'm forces of soul and, and that's the three seed I'm drawing, I'm a little upset. I think. Well, the other thing is they've never played in the tournament, so how well can you really gauge how good they are? You know, it's True. not like yeah. we have seen this team play together know, on a basketball you, court. You always want guys who are active and playing. Yeah, right. It, because you can't just, uh, except for li- literally, Eric Devendorf is the only exception to this rule. <laughs> but you yeah. cannot just get off the street and pick up a ball and go play in this thing. We've seen NBA guys crap the bed in this thing because they've been out of the game for too long you need to be active and playing you gotta have a role too i think a lot of guys come and they're so used to being the guy at syracuse and it doesn't really work out because they're not one of those active players and they're just not as good as some of the other guys that have been playing professionally overseas or whatnot so yeah and by the way the two guys that we're waiting on and i think it's two more non-su alums that should be coming out this week we haven't heard anything as of us recording this here on Monday afternoon, so hopefully we find out about those guys and we can kind of give our takes on the roster and what it is and its completion once that happens. But that's going to wrap it up for the Tuesday podcast. We'll be back tomorrow on the show, hoping to get Brent Axe later on this week. I know we've been teasing that for a little bit, but we're hoping to lock down an interview with him, talk a little bit about Syracuse lacrosse, the succession planning for basketball, football news anything else if you have questions for him throw it our way at lo underscore syracuse and hopefully we will have that for you guys later on this week but we're here with you every single weekday so subscribe now to stay updated on syracuse news and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow